Well, let me uh, welcome you all here to Big Valley Grace. Welcome to all of you over in the venue. Thank you, Pastor uh, Jared, for leading worship over there. If you're watching online, I'm grateful you're with us. Last week, uh, we started a, a, a new little mini-series here called Greater, Overcoming the Lesser Life. And I want to begin by taking us back to the same verse that we looked at last weekend. Jesus said this in John chapter 10, in verse 10. He said, the thief's purpose is to steal, to kill, and destroy. And in its context, Jesus here is talking about the false teachers. That false teachers, their, their goal is to, is to steal, kill, and destroy. But, but obviously, false teachers are energized by the demonic they're energized by the devil, Satan. And so you can extrapolate out that, that this is the enemy's goal for your life. This is what the enemy wants to do to you. He just wants to mess your life up. He wants to mess up your, your marriage. He wants to mess up your family, your kids. And I'm going to talk more about the enemy here in just a moment. But Jesus went on to say that my purpose is different than the thief's purpose. My purpose is to give you a rich and satisfying life. And beloved, I believe that Jesus is primarily talking about eternal life here. In other words, the reason Jesus came and died on a cross was to save us from the penalty of our sin, which is death, physical death, and way more importantly, spiritual death. And when you give your life over to Jesus, he gives you this beautiful gift, this, this free gift of life, life e eternal in heaven. But I also believe that this side of heaven, if you've surrendered your life over to Jesus, you can experience life right now at a whole different level. You see, the life that God has planned for you right now is a life full of purpose. It's a, a life full of significance and, and meaning. It's, it's the greatest life that you could ever live. But as I told you last week, too many believers, too many Christians, maybe you, never experience this life that Jesus came to give you, which means you're settling for the lesser life, which is really sad. And so it's been my, my prayer that somehow the Holy Spirit will use this little series maybe to wake some of you up. There's a lot of believers that are, that are in a stupor. They're saved, you know, I don't know, they're going to heaven, their names are written in the Lamb's book of life and all that wonderful stuff. But they just kind of get up every morning and they just kind of exist. They're not experiencing this unbelievable life that Jesus came to give you right now. Yes, we're going to experience this life at a level we don't even understand when we get to heaven. I get that. But Jesus didn't come and die on a cross, be put into a tomb, walk out of it three days later, that you might live some mundane, boring, crummy life down here, Christian. So I have been praying that somehow God will use this. And 
Got a ton of e emails last weekend and some texts and some private messages and phone messages where I believe the Holy Spirit really woke some of you up. Some of you are coming out of your stupor. And maybe that might be true for some of you here, here today. Last week, I began the message by talking about the fact that we as followers of Jesus are in a war against demons. And I made a pretty big deal about that at the very beginning of my, my message. And I got a lot, and as I said, a lot of emails, and I mean a lot, and texts, private messages about this topic, about Satan and the demonic and the war that we're facing. So I decided that I was going to go in a whole different direction than what I had originally laid out a number of weeks ago. When you, when you do a series like this, you tend to lay things out and kind of have a plan. And the Bible says that man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. In other words, God wants us to use our brains. He wants us to think and but we also need to leave room for the Holy Spirit to move and to guide us. And I believe he has, or at least I believe he did in my life in this, in this regard. Ephesians chapter 6 says this, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against, the, against all the strategies of the devil. And let me just stop right there and remind everybody that the Holy Spirit came upon Paul. And the Holy Spirit had Paul pin the very words that God wanted this group of Christ followers in Ephesus to know and to understand. And here we are 2,000 years later and we're able to enter into what God wanted the believers in Ephesus to understand, and that is this, is that we have an enemy. And last night when we all went to bed and we were asleep, your enemy didn't go to bed. The demons didn't sleep. They were just coming up with new strategies on how to mess up your life, how to mess up your family, how to mess up your marriage, how to mess up this unbelievable life that God has for you now. Oh, you got through yesterday, and maybe you had a good day in the Lord. Well, today's a new day. Your enemy's got a goal. Just wants to mess things up in our lives. He can't... He can't rob you of your salvation if you truly know Christ. That's a done deal. But what he can do is somehow render you as a believer just kind of missing in action down here on planet earth where you're of no good use to the Lord. You're not, you're not salt and light. You're not, you can't be used for his purposes because you're just... Settling for the lesser life. Paul goes on and says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, because our enemy is the demons and the demonic, 
Put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. And when's the time of evil? Is it next Tuesday, you know, at 1030? No. Let me tell you when the time of evil is. It's Sunday at 1148 right now. Right now is the time of evil. It's right this moment. The time of evil isn't some, you know, date that you put on your calendar and you go, okay, well, we all, hey, we need to gather together and hunker down on this day. No, it's right now. You mean even inside this building where we're worshiping the Lord? Yeah, right now. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have an enemy, and it's not your spouse, it's not your parents, it's not your teenager, it's not your boss, it's not your, in, you know, your, 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 your neighbor. Your enemy's not human. The struggle isn't against flesh and blood. Your enemy is the, the devil and the demonic, but here's the deal. He's so good at what he does, he can deceive people to the degree that you think your enemy is your spouse. You'll think it's your children. You'll think it's your parents. You'll think it's your neighbor or that person in your small group or whatever. They're not the enemy. You got one. But it's not your spouse or your kids or whatever. And one of the main goals of your enemies is to somehow to get you as a believer to live the lesser life. And as I said, he can't take away your salvation, and I'm gonna repeat that over and over again, but he can get you to live the lesser life. Here's the deal. The Bible tells us that at the very moment you surrendered your life over to Jesus, a lot of really beautiful things happened. Your sins were forgiven. Your body became the, the home in which the Holy Spirit lives. You became a part of God's family. You're one of his children. When you die, when you take your last breath down here on planet Earth, your next breath's gonna be in glory uh, with him forever in heaven, and the list goes on and on and on. But there's one other major thing that happened when you gave your life over to Jesus, and that was this. You picked up an enemy, a very powerful enemy, a very evil enemy. In fact, let me give you a few of the names that the Bible gives your enemy. The serpent, Satan, the devil, Beelzebub, liar, murderer, the prince of this world, the god of this age, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the tempter, the evil one, the dragon, the accuser. All of those kind of give you an idea. They, they, they give you a little taste, if you will, or a description of, of, of who our enemy is. I'm often asked by Christians and non-Christians if I really believe in Satan or the devil or, or the demons or whatever, and the answer is yes. I absolutely believe in Satan and you know the, the, the demons because the Bible clearly teaches their existence. Last weekend, uh, there were a number of people, I'm thinking of one guy in particular on Saturday night, came up to me and said, yeah, you know, you really believe in Satan and the demons? And I said, absolutely. I said, you explain to me the evil 
that one human being can perpetrate on another. Explain that to me. Right here in Modesto, California, pinhole on a map, just read what happens in this little town. What one human being will do to another human being. There's only one explanation for that. The existence of of a, a powerful, evil force. The Bible describes them in some of those terms that I just, just gave you. Beloved, Satan is real, and he's powerful, and he's evil, and he hates you. Actually, he hates God. But at the moment you gave your life to Christ, he came and lived inside of you, which means he hates you. God lives in you, Christian, and he hates God. And if he's in you, he hates you. See, you understand that? Paul said this in Colossians chapter one, for he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. There is a kingdom of darkness and that kingdom has a king. It's a small K, if you will. But at one time in my life, I was a part of that kingdom. And so were you, Christian. But I was transferred into the kingdom of his dear son. And that kingdom has a king with a capital K. He's the king of all kings, you see. Now, we may have been rescued from the kingdom of darkness, but Satan is still alive and well. Satan and his kingdom are still with us, which means this side of heaven, we've got trouble. We're in a fight. We're in a war. And he wants to rob you of the life that Jesus came to give you. Once again, he can't take away your salvation, but he can get you to settle for the lesser life. Peter said this. He said, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. He's looking for somebody that he can rob, steal, destroy. He's looking for somebody that he can get to live the lesser life, if you will. And one of the things I, I think is interesting about this is as the Holy Spirit had Peter pin these words, The Holy Spirit didn't have him say, the Lord's enemy, or the missionary's enemy, or the church's enemy, or the pastor's enemy. All of those things are true. But the Holy Spirit led Peter to make this very personal. Your enemy. Your enemy. Your enemy. Oh, he's the church's enemy. No, there's no doubt about that. He's the missionary's enemy. He's the Lord's enemy. No doubt about any of that. But it's interesting, isn't it? That God's had Peter make sure that we understood that it was our enemy. I want to give you a few thoughts on how you can win the battle against Satan and thus 
overcome the lesser life that he wants you to settle for. But before I do, I want to give you two really important uh, theological truths. Okay, I want to lay a little, a little foundation that you need to understand before I give you a few thoughts and then a few thoughts of application and then we'll be done and the Lord will do whatever he does with this message. The first important truth I want to give you is this, is that Jesus won the war over Satan and the demons. You need to understand this. This is important. John penned these words. The Son of God came for this purpose, to destroy the devil's work. So what, what, what John is telling us is... Uh, uh, December 25th, when we celebrate Christmas, right? The day that Jesus was born in that little town of Bethlehem. The, 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 the reason why he came, the, the purpose was to destroy the, the devil's work. Well, what was the devil's work? Well, to know what the devil's work is, you have to go back in history. You get back into the Old Testament. You go all the way to the very first book of the Bible. You get to Genesis chapter 3, and we get to see the devil's work. The devil was able to deceive Adam, and Adam disobeys God. He eats a piece of fruit he wasn't supposed to eat. And at that moment, sin entered into the world. That was the devil's work. And so the Son of God came, that's what it says, for this purpose, to destroy that work. And that work is destroyed when we give our lives to Christ. Jesus comes into our life and now God sees us just as if we'd never sinned. The big word is justification. It's through what Jesus did at the cross and through the resurrection that takes care of the devil's work that we read about in Genesis chapter 3. Okay? So the first truth is Jesus won the war over Satan and the demons. But the second truth is equally important, okay? And that is this. The power that dealt that death blow to Satan and the demons is in you, Christian. John goes on to say, my dear children, you belong to God and have defeated them because God's spirit, who's in you, is greater than the devil who's in the world. So you need to understand at the moment of salvation, when you received Jesus into your life, he came into your life. The very one who destroyed the work of the devil in Genesis 3 is now living inside of you. And it's important that you understand those two, um, those two truths, capital T. And this is good news. But, but here's my question. If Jesus won the war, you know, over Satan and the demons, and he did... And if Jesus lives in you, Christian, and he does, why is it so hard to live the Christian life? <laughs> why, why is it at times we settle for the lesser life? Well, it's because Satan and the demons are still here on planet Earth. And so are you. We're both taking up the same space. That's why God had our brother Peter pin these words. Stay alert. 
Yes, Jesus won the war. Yes, Jesus lives in you, but we're not in heaven yet. When we get there, we won't have to worry about this verse. But we're still here. The devil and the demons are still here. And so God says to us, stay alert. Watch out. You got an enemy out there. See? Here's the deal. I want you to I want you to think about this. Here you are in this battle. It's a spiritual battle. You got an enemy that's powerful, that's evil, that hates you, wants to destroy you, wants to destroy your family. He wants to make sure you, you, you live a weak life, a fruitless life, a life that doesn't honor Jesus Christ. He doesn't want you to be like Jesus. He doesn't want you to do God's will. He wants you to live the lesser life. So when your enemy attacks, what do you need? What, what do you need to overcome his attack? What, what do you need to accomplish God's will for your life? What do you need to live a fruitful, powerful, God-honoring life? A bigger house? A new car? A better job? A new spouse? Bigger biceps? Flatter abs? Hipper clothes? <laughs> none of those things are evil in and of themselves, okay? But none of them will help you. When the enemy attacks, you're not going to be able to go, dude, I, I got 5,000 square feet of house here, devil. <laughs> hey, devil, you know, I, I just got the coolest clothes, you know, that you can get at Macy's. Look at me. They won't do anything to help you overcome the enemy you face. They, don't, they won't do anything to help, help you overcome your flesh. They, they won't, not one of those things will help you become more like Jesus. None of those things will help you live out God's will for your life. Not one of them. Now, they're not evil in and of themselves. None of those things, though, will give you the power you need to live a fruitful life for God or overcome your great enemy. Now, unfortunately, most American Christians, at least in my opinion, spend way more time and money and energy on these things than they do on what really matters. That's the issue. Nothing wrong with having a nice home. Don't misunderstand me. You're having a nice car. I got a nice home. I got a nice car. Look at these clothes. Come on, man. This is, I got the coolest clothes in town, man. <laughs> <laughs> None of those things help. So what do you need? You need God's spiritual power. Think about it. The enemy is spiritual. The warfare is spiritual. So what you need is spiritual power. And only God can supply that. You can be the wealthiest person on earth and yet be totally helpless against your great enemy, you see? You can have the biggest house in Modesto and still be totally helpless against your enemy. You can have the best looking spouse in town, the kindest spouse in town, and still be totally helpless against your great enemy. You can have the best physique in town. You can be at 3% body fat and still be helpless against your great enemy, Christian. Because none of these things can give you the power you need to overcome your great enemy or your flesh. God said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He said, we do live in the world, but we do not fight in the same way the world fights. We, we, we don't fight like the world fights, and we're watching a lot of wars going on on TV right now. We just dropped the mother of all bombs, right, on a little city in, in Afghanistan, right? We got 
Tomahawk missiles and cruise missiles and we got M16s and bazookas and, and we got, you know, drones that got hellfire missiles on them. We see how the world will fight its wars. But God through the pen of Paul says, that's not how we fight our war. He says, we fight with weapons that are different from those the world uses. Our weapons have power from God that can destroy the enemy's strong places. Listen, you could drop a hundred mother of all bombs on you know, Satan and it doesn't do a thing. Nothing. But God, because he loves us and because he cares about us, he, he did give us some things. Because he longs for his children to live this, this life full of purpose and meaning. Hey, hey, dads, don't you want that for your kids? Don't you want your kids to grow up and live a great life, a, a life full of meaning and purpose and significance and all those things? And you're just an earthly dad. Your heavenly father wants his children to live out this, their existence, at least here on planet Earth, in a way that honors him and glorifies him and, and, and we're salt and light and all those things. And so he has, I think, given us some things. And I want to go through a few of them with you right now. And I think this first one is an important one. Now, this isn't a comprehensive list. You can go home and come up with your own list. Many of you will have other things. But I do think that this will be helpful. Here we go. Number one, if you want to overcome the lesser life, you need to respect your enemy. You need to have a healthy respect for your enemy. Because if you don't respect your enemy, and maybe that ain't the right word, I don't know, I'm using that word, you'll never do the other things I'm gonna talk about. Some of you have so little respect for the enemy, you didn't even think about him this morning, did you? You haven't thought about him all week. It wasn't until I brought him up that you went, oh yeah, we got an enemy. How crazy is that? This book from Genesis chapter three on is a, gives us a scouting report on our enemy. Page after page after page after page after page. And yet, today, you can wake up and eat your post-toasties and <laughs> comb your hair and brush your teeth and never even give him a thought. That's tragic. In Jude 9, there's this really interesting thing that happens. It says, but even Michael, one of the mightiest of the angels, archangel, did not dare accuse the devil of blasphemy, but simply said, the Lord rebuke you. This took place when Michael was arguing with the devil about Moses' body. Well, that's weird. What's going on there? 
I'm going to tell you in just a moment. But here's kind of the, the sense you get. There was this moment when Michael is doing something with the body of Moses and the devil comes along and there was some conflict. And Michael, the archangel goes, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not stepping in the ring with you, pal. But I know somebody who can take in a heartbeat. I'll go right to the boss. I ain't messing with you. You see, Michael knew he was evil. He was wicked. He was powerful. And he doesn't mess with him. He doesn't say, I bind you, Satan. He didn't grab Satan by the tail. So I heard a preacher say, you know, I don't even know what that means. What he says is, um, listen, I ain't messing with you. I'm just gonna go ahead and turn you over to the Lord. May, may, may the Lord take care of you. What's going on here? Well, in Deuteronomy chapter 34 is where we kind of see the story. It says this in verse five, and Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. He buried him in Moab in the valley opposite Beth Peor, but to this day, no one knows where his grave is. You see, God didn't want the people to know where Moses' body was going to be buried for, for lots of reasons. So God himself buried the body in a place that nobody would know about. But apparently as Michael, the archangel, was taking the body to bury it, the devil showed up and he also wanted the body for obviously crummy reasons. Probably because the Jews were notorious for taking things like the body of Moses or whatever, and they would have put them up on a pole and bronzed them, and they all would have, you know, worshipped, and they were into this idolatry stuff, and God was saying, no, 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 that's not going to happen with Moses. So he's going to die, and then I personally am going to bury him. I'm going to send my archangel just to bury him so no one knows where the body is, so that nobody can goof around with the body or, or whatever. And here you have this moment where the devil shows up and Michael goes, hey, look, man, I ain't getting in the ring with you. I think he had a healthy respect for him. But he immediately goes to the one who could take him. And he says, may, may the Lord re rebuke you. Warren Worsby said this. I think it's really, really great. He said, quote, it's a dangerous thing for God's people to confront Satan directly and to argue with him because he is much stronger than we are. If an archangel is careful about the way he deals with the devil, how much more cautious ought we to be? Look, we all need to be very aware that we're no match for our enemy. And I think one of the ways you overcome the lesser life is when you recognize, boy, I've got one, and you, re you respect them. You don't have to like them. You don't have to obey them, but just realize he's the real deal. And all throughout the pages of Scripture, we, we see his handiwork. Number two, and you'll never do number two if you don't get number one. 
In fact, the reason why some of you will never do number two or rarely do is because you don't get number one. And that is this. If you want to overcome the lesser life, you need to pray. You got to spend time with the one who is more powerful than your evil, wicked enemy who hates you. Jesus himself said, keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. He didn't say, hey, just keep watching. Just remember, I live inside you. It's no big deal. No, 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 no. You keep watch and you make sure you're talking to the all-powerful one. You keep in contact, if you will, with the one who's more powerful than your enemy. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Jesus says, watch and pray. And to me, maybe these two words kind of summarize what we as Christians are supposed to do with our lives, maybe. Watchfulness sees the temptation coming. It sees the enemy at head. It, it recognizes danger. And prayer gives strength to withstand the temptation or strength to overcome the attack of the enemy or wisdom as to how to avoid the, the, the danger or whatever it might be. Prayer is just simply the way we talk with God or communicate with him. And here's the deal. If you have a healthy respect for your enemy... <laughs> you'll spend lots and lots of time praying. You'll have no problem praying because you'll understand just what he's up to. Not only does he want to make sure you live the lesser life, listen, he's after your spouse too. He wants your spouse to live the lesser life. He wants your children to live the lesser life. He wants your parents to live the lesser life. He wants your good buddies here at church to live the lesser life. It's not like he's done if he gets you. Okay, I got Jim. I'm golden. I'll take a nap. No, 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 no. Okay, I got Jim. Now I'm going to Jim's wife. Now I'm going to Jim's kids. Now I'm, he just, he, he's never, he never ends. And when you really get that, if you really re have a respect for that, how can you not spend time praying, right? The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, when you are tempted to bite after the lesser life, if you will, he, God, will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Christian, if you're not spending time with God in prayer, you'll never see the way of escape that God always provides. Never, which means you're going to settle for the lesser life. It's just a no-brainer. Prayer is your greatest weapon in the war that we're in. One of my favorite quotes uh, about prayer is from a man by the name of Samuel Chadwick. I've shared it with you before. He said this. He said, quote, The one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He cares nothing for prayerless work, prayerless study, or prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil. He mocks our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. You see, when you pray, here's why he trembles. When you pray, you're now doing exactly what Michael, 
the archangel did. You're now going to the all-powerful one. Hey, the devil and the demons are okay with you fighting things out on your own strength. You know, I mean, after all, you've got your master's degree. You've built your own business. People have told you all along that you're just a guy with a lot of common sense. So you're going to do it on your own. And Satan goes, that's right, you do it on your own. There you go. But as soon as you get on your knees and you pray, whoa, 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 whoa. As soon as Michael said, you know what, I'm not dealing with it, devil, but I am going to let the Lord step in. Game over. You know how we know? Game over. Anybody ever find the body of Moses? <laughs> Game over. Today, a story happened last night at our home. So my daughter's got this uh, boyfriend. He's a nice kid. Okay, he's all right. He's all right. Hey, Chris, if you're watching, you're a good kid. Um, anyway, and so the first time uh, he came over, um, you know, before they could even do anything, you know, he had to come over and you know meet my wife and I, and, you know, all that kind of stuff, meet our family. So he came over, and at some moment, you know. I took him into another room and uh, made sure I didn't have any weapons on me. <laughs> just, no pockets, no knives, okay. And I said, hey, look, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad you're here. This, this tells me a lot about you, the fact that you would come. But uh, I just want to make something clear here, right from the outset. He said, the greatest possession I have is my salvation. There's nothing greater than that in my life. Amen. As number one, my salvation, my relationship with Jesus Christ. But, but, but number two, my wife and my kids, that the greatest possessions I have, so I got a nice house here, but it pales in comparison to my wife and kids. I, I got nice furniture, nice couch, a nice pool, I got nice cars. And, you know, I got jewelry. None of that matters to me. It's my relationship with Jesus, number one, and my family. Her are my most prized possessions. And so here I am. I'm allowing you access to one of my prized possessions, my daughter. And it's my expectation that as you guys hang out and talk or whatever, you know, text or whatever, that it's all done in a very respectful way. Because once you disrespect one of my children, I'm going to stand before God someday and give an account for how I raise my kids. Amen. Once I know that, then this is, we're done here. Hey, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Nice kid. Nice kid. Just want you to know. Nice kid. So, <laughs> so last night, uh, uh, he goes to Oakdale High, and so they had this prom thing. And so, he asked if she could go to the prom, and she had to fill out all these paperwork stuff to go because she doesn't go to Oakdale High. And so they went out. My wife you know, went out and bought a dress, and, oh, man, I hated it. And there got, got her hair all fixed up, it was, oh, makeup, it was just toes painted. It was just, oh, I hate it. Oh, it's just not right. And uh, she looks like she's, like, like old. <laughs> I didn't like any bit of it. Anyway... 
Uh, so we're waiting for him to come over, and Grandma's over, and all the kids are over, and everybody's over, you know, and we're going to take all these pictures, and, and all of a sudden, you know, he shows up, and he's, you know, got on this monkey suit. He looks like, a, he looks like somebody from the mob, you know, like, <laughs> like, like he went to mob 101 class, and here he is, you know, hey. And his tie matches the color of her dress. It was stupid. Anyway, the, the, whole, uh, the whole thing was just stupid, man. And we went outside, and, you know, we're taking all these pictures, and I'm thinking to myself, all I got to do is kick him in the pool, and the whole thing's over. I'm just getting all tight. Anyway, um, so we all took the pictures or whatever, you know, we're going outside, and we're walking to his car, and and, uh, my wife was, you know, we're all walking out, and I said, hey, you guys go ahead into the car, and I I called him over again, right, right right in front of the gun. Come on around him. I said, hey, remember that conversation we had about eight months ago? Yeah, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. What was, what's the most valuable thing to me? Uh, your relationship with Jesus? Salvation? Yeah. And what was number two? <laughs> My, your, your family and your children and all that. I said, yeah. I said, nothing's changed. And here's the deal. You, you, you've honored me. You've honored me. You've, you've treated my daughter well, and I appreciate that. But here's the deal. You're now going to go to this fun thing. And everybody, most of the people that want to have fun, but there's always a bunch of jerks. And somebody's going to pull out some alcohol. Someone's going to pull out some weed. Someone's going to pull something out. And if it's anywhere around my daughter, what are you going to do? <laughs> I'm immediately going to take her away from all that stuff. And I said, good answer. Good answer. I said, because there's no, I'm, I'm entrusting her to, to you, and there's going to be someone there who does something stupid. Yes, sir, I, I, we're good. And I said, okay, you guys have fun. Have her back by 7.30, and we're good. That's an hour. They had an hour. Someone once said, nothing good happens after midnight. Well, I'm thinking, well, if nothing good happens after midnight, well, nothing good happens after 7.30. It's, my, it's just, figure the whole thing out. Hey, listen, listen, guys, listen to me. Ladies, too. You won't go out and hire a plumber unless you go onto Angie's list and make sure, you know, they know what they're doing because you don't want anybody goofing up your toilet, right? Hey, ladies, you're not going to let somebody cut your hair or color your hair. They don't know what they're doing, right? But isn't it strange how parents will just let their children just go out with people they don't even know? Now, I know, man, the guy who can fix my car knows what he's doing because I'm not going to take my car in. A piece of steel have be fixed by someone. They don't have my stamp of approval on it. But you let your kids go out with people you don't even know. You never even met. And you know why you do that? You don't respect your enemy. Because let me tell you what I did. So he parks outside, my daughter goes out, and it was taking them a while. Well, I walk back to my daughter's room, and I'm looking through the slats. <laughs> and he's, you know, putting his coat on and his hair all fixed. And, and right there in her bedroom, I just started praying. I said, oh, God, would you protect them from the enemy? They have no clue. They have no clue how powerful and evil the enemy is. They have no clue that 
He wants to mess up their lives and mess up what you have planned for them. Please, please watch over them. Protect them from their own flesh, which is a powerful force too. You see, adults don't even get it. How much more a, a teenager? And so you just spend some time praying. And I did, right there in her room, and you know, and it was all good and well. And I'll tell you what, last night I was here preaching, and I, 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 wasn't, I wasn't good, I wasn't right, because I kept thinking about my daughter. I'm serious. Because I get it. I understand how powerful the enemy is. If you really got it, you'd pray more for your marriage. You'd pray more for your kids. You'd pray more for your parents. Number three, and I'm going to run through these real quick. If you want to overcome the lesser life, you need to be careful how you live. Paul says this. See, see if you get this. See if you get this. You know, this is, this is why sometimes you need a seminary degree. So be careful how you live. Do I need to say anything? God's word says, be careful how you live. Be careful how you live. Be careful. God says to his people, his children, the same thing I basically said to this young guy. Be careful. Somebody's going to be out there and they're going to pull out the weed. Someone's going to be out there and going to pull out some alcohol. Somebody's going to try to do something evil. Be careful. Think about it right now. What are you going to do? What are you going to say? Because once the evil's being perpetrated on you, man, it's hard, especially when you're a kid. Oh, man, now what do I do? Think about it now. I want you to be careful what you're doing. And too many believers, too many adult believers, just we're not careful. Well, let me give you two ways that you can be careful how you live. I'll give you two ways. And the good news is I've already given them to you. Have a healthy respect for your enemy and pray. You do those two things, you're golden. You're being careful how you live. Now, are there other things? Obviously. Number four, if you want to overcome the lesser life, you need to be difficult. And I, 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 I kind of use this in other contexts too, but I like the word difficult. James says, so humble yourself before God. And then he says this, resist the devil. In other words, make it tough for him, will ya? Dig in. For too many believers, man, you're, you're, you're easy pickings. At least put up some kind of fight. And if you understand who he is and you respect him and you're praying and you're being careful how you live, let me just tell you something. You're going to make it difficult for him to goof up your life or your family's life or your marriage or whatever it might be. Peter, in that great text that I've read earlier, 
He basically says the same thing. He says, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And then he says this, resist him. And then he adds this phrase, standing firm in the faith. Peter says that we're to resist the devil by standing firm in our faith. Peter doesn't say, hey, go hunt down the devil. Doesn't say that because that'd be stupid. He doesn't say, go bind the devil. There was a guy on TV the other day, I was watching it, and he was talking about, hey, you need to bind the devil, and I'm going, what does that mean? How idiotic is that? Bind the devil? What are you, gonna put a set of, you know, cuffs on him? And how long does the binding last? An hour, is it an hour binding? And then he gets the key and opens it up. Is it a two hour binding? Is it a 24 hour binding? Does it work like Tylenol, you know, it's extra strength? And if you bind the devil, he's not omnipresent, so he can only be one place at one time. Does that mean I don't have to worry about him if somebody else has bound him? Bind the devil. There's a song I was heard the other day from a group and, and the whole thing was about stomping on the devil's head. Stomp on the devil, stomp on the devil. And I'm thinking, who's writing this trash? <laughs> Step on the devil's head. Peter, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit doesn't say bind the devil, bind the demons. Go hunt the devil down. Grab the devil by the tail. Whip him around. And let me tell you something, if that was even possible, you're done. Your life is over. What he says is, resist him by standing firm in the faith. Now, how do you do that? Well, I think there's lots of ways, but let me give you the one big one, okay? You stand firm in your faith and make things difficult for your enemy when you engage your Bible. Psalms 119.105 says that your word is the lamp unto my feet. It's the light unto my path. It's the word of God that helps me understand this rich and satisfying life that God has for me. It's this. I follow this and I'm golden. I'm good. As soon as I put this down and disengage it, now I only got one place to go and that is the lesser life. Proverbs chapter 6 says, my son, obey your father's commands. And that doesn't mean, you know, dad says I'm supposed to take out the trash and mow the lawns. That's not what he's talking about there. He's talking about the dad who teaches their children the commands of God. The law, the Ten Commandments, whatever that might have been. And don't neglect your mother's instruction. And once again, he's not talking about mom who says, hey, listen, take your lunch to school, you know, don't forget your coat. Not those kinds of instructions. He's talking about the mother who would teach their children the things of God. It goes on, and he says, keep their words always in your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, their counsel will lead you. When you sleep, they will protect you. When you wake up, they will advise you. For their command is a lamp and their instruction a light. Their corrective discipline is the way to life. Once again, it's, it's, it's the scriptures. Proverbs 15 says, a wise person is hungry for truth. Hungry for knowledge. Truth. 
while the fool feeds on trash. Let me ask you a question. Which of these two things, truth or trash, will help you overcome the lesser life? Truth, right? Which of these two things, truth or trash, will make things difficult for the enemy to mess up your life? Truth or trash? Now, here's what you have to understand about truth. Truth is something you have to go out and find. You have to go after it. Trash, on the other hand, just gets dumped on you all day long. You just get up in the morning, watch TV, and there's the trash. It's the commercials of, you know, just crummy commercials that just, just crummy. You, you listen to the secular radio station where it's just ungodly music. You drive down McHenry Avenue and there's a half-naked lady selling a car. You go out to the mall and they got soft, you know, soft porn up at the windows at Victoria's Secrets. Trash is being dumped on us all the time. Truth, on the other hand, you have to go after. You gotta get up and get ready and come to church, don't you? Ugh, man, I can't even make it. It takes you time, right, to get up and come to men's Bible study, women's Bible study, CR. Man, you gotta set your alarm early to get up and get into the Word of God, you know, in the mornings or whatever it might be. Truth, the the, 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 the one thing that will help you stand firm and resist the devil, you gotta go after it. But the devil will make sure trash is just thrown at you all the time. You don't have to do anything. It's just, just there. Solomon said in Proverbs chapter two, listen carefully to wisdom, set your mind on understanding, cry out for wisdom and beg for understanding, search for it like silver and hunt for it like treasure, then you will understand respect for the Lord and you'll find that you know God. And you see those little phrases? Listen carefully, set your mind, cry out, beg, search, hunt. There's, there's action there. It just doesn't happen. Being a person of truth just doesn't happen. So what are some investments in truth that you might make? Last week I challenged you, could, could you take five minutes, set your alarm five minutes early, get up, get your coffee or your tea, and just sit down with God in his word, and just read the word of God. Can you do that? Maybe this past week you did it. Maybe go to 10 minutes. I, I'm not, you don't have to jump in and spend an hour. Just start someplace. Make an investment in it. Make an investment in the truth because it's the truth, the reading of the word, the studying of the word, the meditating on the word, the memorizing of the word, the, the having the heart to then obey the word. Okay, now you're ready to resist. None of this binding stupidity that's out there. I don't want you grabbing the devil by the tail or stomping on his head. This is stupid. But it sounds easier than this, doesn't it? Of course it does. That's why the devil makes sure there's all kinds of stupid things out there being shared. Anything to keep you from the word of God. Anything but that. 
this. And then when you blow it, and you will, you're quick to repent of your sin. And God, I'm so sorry I did that or whatever. Get back into your times in the word of God. And you will find that you will make things very, very, very difficult for the enemy. You will. It's right here. It's right here. Right here. This is it. Listen to all the Christian music you want. Not wrong with that. But it's this. Hey, you can do any devotional you want. You can read what other people think. That's all good and well, and you should do that. But, it, but, but it's this. Some devotionals don't ever get you into the Word of God. They just give you a gr- lot of really great spiritual thoughts, good thoughts. No, don't misunderstand me. But it can't ever replace this. You got to read this. You want to do other devotionals, do them. But it's you and the words that God left for you. See, here's the deal. Let me, let me tell you what I found. <laughs> yeah, I, I think when you read this, you learn about God. I'm not sure that's the primary th- reason why God left it, though. I think he left it so you'd learn about you. That you would know about you. And the sin lurking in you. And the fact that you had no way of dealing with it. That you were doomed. But he loved you. And if you had receive him into your life. He could take you, you, your one life and make something beautiful of it. Regardless, this is it. This is how you're going to stand firm. Over in the venue, why don't you stand? Everybody in here stand. You can read the last one on your own. And like I said, I'm sure there are many others that some of you are thinking about. Father, thank you, Lord, for uh, this weekend and all the neat things that I know you were up to. Just the fellowship of believers here last night, today is just great. You, you work even in that, Lord, friendships and fellowship. Thankful for sacred music, music that points us to you, God. I'm thankful, God, for moments where we get to give you gifts, our offerings. Thankful, God, for your word, the the preaching of your word. I I hope I was clear today, God. I always worry about that. That I honored you and what your word says and that I made it clear that people could understand it. And if so, Lord, may your Holy Spirit take these words, these thoughts, and may you continue to do your work in your people's lives, God. And I pray this in your name and all of God's people said, amen. Hey, Lord bless you. Okay, live for Christ.